Amen. You guys may be seated. Good to see all you guys. I'm excited to be here. Okay, if I uh, let you guys know how much I love you, each and every one of you here in the South Bay Church. Uh, I do want to uh, just take the opportunity too, to thank uh, the men and the women that were involved with our Women's Day yesterday. Uh, thank you guys so much for your love, for God, the time, energy, and effort that went into that event, just making it awesome. I want to thank Sean this morning, too. Um, I appreciate the thought that went into the book of Hebrews, what that represents for us, our core beliefs. <clears throat> it's funny with that car, too, the, uh, that whole sin 666. You know, it says so much about our core beliefs uh, on so many different levels. Um, some of us run accused. I can tend to be one of those. And um, it's just good to know that before God, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us personally, especially coming off of Easter. I mean, everybody kind of has that mindset, Jesus rose from the dead, and understanding what the significance of that is for each of us personally, knowing, as Sean stated, and some of you may be even, you know, shaking your heads on the inside a little bit this morning, me, perfect before God. But if you've surrendered to Jesus, you've made him Lord of your life, you've been baptized with forgiveness of sin, you are clothed in Christ. Galatians talks about it. That's exactly who you are before God, which is amazing. Amen? And bro, I don't know if you went over or not. I don't really care. I thought you did an awesome job. So some of you are hoping that maybe I'll shorten my lesson because of the time he spent on his. I'm not quite sure how that'll work out. Well, we'll see in a moment here. But uh, we're continuing our series this morning, uh, Jesus 2016. I don't know about you, this year's been kind of a, a, a crazy year, kind of an exciting year, um, you know, I mean, a concerning year. There's been so much that's gone on within a very, very short period of time. Uh, you know, a lot of new babies, that's why Brian Craig's not here this morning. Uh, not that he's had one or Des has had one, but it's one of, one of the benefits of being in a region where you've got multiple evangelists. He's down preaching in GLB because Ruben's having a hard time with the sleepless nights. You can tell them that for me. <laughs> it's real, but I can remember a day where we didn't have those opportunities or benefits. But anyway, you know, I mean, you guys today with babies have got it so darn easy, man. Who's the guy that came up with the idea of a DVD player in the car? I mean, how often do you hear, are we there yet? 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 Well, you know, maybe you need to find a new DVD. I, I don't know. but uh, And then thinking about the, well, the political climate, oh my gosh. I mean, I, I like the news. I like, you know, kind of finding out what's going on. I, I'm starting to burn out on the news, guys. Uh, all this campaign stuff, you know, the, England may have its issues, and there may be a few shortcomings, but one area that they don't have a problem with, I love the fact that if you're a political candidate in England, you got six weeks to get it done. Six weeks. You look at the money, the billions of dollars that are spent over here, it just, it just blows my mind. And, you know, I, I, honestly, in some ways, I'm getting a little tired of asking, people asking me, who are you voting for, Steve? What do you think? You know, I, I just want to get that one off my back. And you guys want to know who I'm voting for? <laughs> Nobody? <laughs> Is there anybody? <laughs> There's a few hands. <laughs> you know what? I love that response. But you know what? I'm going to tell you anyway. 
Oh, you know what? I guess it might help if I turn this on. Would you expect anything else from me, brother? That's who I'm voting for. I, I got to squeeze the grandbaby in there. What can I tell you? But, you know, I love the response. The bulk of you didn't want to know. And that's not what we're about. I mean, unless it's about Jesus Christ, there really isn't a whole lot else that we need to get involved with. Bible's real clear on civilian affairs. Amen? You know, with the series that we're going after right now, though, what we're going to do is continue to look at the many interactions that Jesus had with people. And Jesus, one of the things I love about him is he was anything but political. And you know, in a, in a lot of ways, that may be one of the reasons he was so darn controversial. He was always focused on glorifying God, and he was not concerned with pleasing people. But the thing that's so amazing is by glorifying God, by having that kind of focus, how many people's needs were actually met? You know, we, we think about what goes on politically today, our politicians. They seem to be so focused on pleasing their lobbyists, you know, wherever the money's coming in from, special interest. And with that, it's amazing how we can see their stances change like the wind and the waves. What do they stand for? I mean, I, I remember... <laughs> I, I see I need to move on from this relatively quickly here. I mean, I remember as a kid growing up, you know, there were a couple different political parties, and they actually had a platform, and there was a difference between the two. Today, it's just about getting that vote. If Jesus were running for president today, though, would he get your vote? Easy response. Why would he get your vote? Why would he get my vote? Well, some basic principles we're going to look at this morning now that you've had an opportunity to glance at my granddaughter there lovingly for a few moments. John 1, verse 1. Why Jesus should get your vote? In the beginning. It's always a good place to start, right? In the beginning, there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. You know, I love this passage in that we know if we've been around for a while who's being talked about in this the word with God with God from the beginning it's Jesus Jesus was a man of conviction he stood for one thing and one thing only and that was God he used who he was for my advantage and you may be thinking well what does that exactly mean well let's take a look at the book of Philippians here for a moment. Philippians 2, verse 5. Jesus should get my vote for what reason? When Philippians 2, verse 5 says, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. This is what Paul is talking about, referencing who Jesus was and the stance that he took and what we need to do. It says, make your attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. This is mind-boggling to me. I'd like to say that this is who I am naturally, this is what I'm about. It's not. I have an argument with my wife. What am I trying to accomplish? 
What's advantageous to me? I would like to think that with the power of the Almighty God, the last thing that I would think about is myself. You know, and John, when Sean was on that freeway and driving throughout the streets of Torrance, Hawthorne, wherever the heck he was, and that car kept popping up. I mean, if you were, if you were God in the flesh, what do you think you might want to do? <laughs> Boof! <laughs> it's done. It's gone. It's over. And I don't know about you, that's who I am in the flesh. You know, the shortcut, whatever's advantageous to me. Jesus was a man of conviction. He stood for one thing and one thing only, and that was God. He used who he was for my advantage. I mean, would any of us be here today if he was like us? If he was self-focused? You know, we're going to go ahead and uh, go back to John 1, verse 43, just kind of continue with this thought process here. Now, mind you, uh, John, Jesus had already connected with Andrew and Peter, spent a little bit of time interacting with them, called them to follow him, told him he was going to give them something new in spite of something they knew, which was fishing to become fishers of men. And then picking up in verse 43, it says, The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Jesus found Philip and told him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Now, um, at the end of service today, if you would like, one of the other reasons we need to vote for Jesus, I'm going to establish in a moment here, but I do have uh, these little handouts that kind of give you a, a handful of Old Testament prophecy and the New Testament fulfillment. With the passage we're looking at, Nathaniel's response to Philip was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's, it's really kind of interesting as we, uh, when it comes to Jesus Christ and the impact that he had, take a look at the slide before me. One of the things with Old Testament prophecy, there's markers as to, from a historical standpoint, when things were written versus obviously what we have in the New Testament today. So you have BCE, which is before the Common Era. Uh, you know, I guess this was part of the PC movement we're all a part of today. And then it, when I grew up, it was just BC, before Christ. So then it continues, uh, you know, we've got BCE, BC, mean the same thing, before Christ. Previous to year 1 CE, the common error, this is the same as the other thing that, you know, we use a little bit more so when I was a kid, which was AD. Now, as a kid, I thought the AD meant after death, so I wasn't totally on there. But as you can see, it's Anio Domini, which means in the year of the Lord often translated as in the year of our Lord. So just kind of establishing that as we, we take a look at some Old Testament prophecy with the New Testament fulfillment. There's a lot of them here. I mean, it's pretty amazing. You know, in Isaiah, virgin birth, seeing the fulfillment there in Luke. You know, the flight to Egypt when Herod was massacring the infants. All these different things coming to pass hundreds of years before Jesus. And then seeing the fulfillment as Jesus was brought into this earth in the stance that he took. And again, we have Nathaniel's question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? In uh, 750 B.C., Isaiah, uh, the prophet, it's about the time period that this particular verse was written, in Isaiah 11, verse 1, says, Then a shoot 
will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Well, what we've got going on here is the, talking about the genealogy that the Messiah would come through. Jesse, David's father. In uh, 520 B.C., the prophet Zechariah says, Listen, Joshua, the high priest, you and your colleagues sitting before you, indeed, these men are a sign that I'm about to bring my servant, the branch. Now, why this reference to the branch? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Anyone care to venture what uh, the branch translates here? It's Nazarene. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now Nathaniel asked him, come and see. Now, so with that, should we vote for Jesus? God in the flesh who died for me? The answer is yes. The Nazarene, the branch, the bridge, the mediator, the truth, the light, the hope, the peace. And we can go on and on and on. King of kings, redeemer. That's why Jesus Christ gets my vote. Second thing that we're going to look at this morning, though, is much more important. Would Jesus vote for you? I'm just going to go ahead and let the cat out of the bag on the front side here. Jesus did. Jesus votes for us. In verse 47, it reads, Then Jesus saw Nathanael, Bartholomew, Oh, well, just for point of reference here, you'll see in the book of Acts, Bartholomew's reference, Nathaniel and Bartholomew, one and the same. So it continues here. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him. Just as he came from Nathaniel, Jesus comes looking for us. It's the same thing today. Jesus went out looking for him. Jesus is seeking each and every one of us. He says to Nathaniel, here is a true Israelite. No deceit is in him. Nathaniel's response, how do you know me? And then Jesus jumps right back in here. Before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree, and I saw you, Jesus answered. You know, we see Jesus stun a future disciple with just a few words here. He addresses him with, this statement about him being a true Israelite. He affirms Nathaniel is a student of the Torah, a righteous Jew. And it's really interesting, in the research I did for this lesson, the phrase under fig tree was something that was used in rabbinical literature to describe meditation on the law. Now, think about this for a minute. How many bedrooms did most Israelites have at this point in time? Nothing like what we got going on around here, man. It was just a great room, baby. Now, so you have an entire family, mom, dad, and, you know, it was an agrarian society. Thank you. It was an agrarian society, so, you know, the more kids you had, the more crops you could plant, the more profitable a business you could have, whatever it was. Carpentry. You got the kids, man, you got your apprentices right there. So you got this entire family in one great room. Now, what else resided with those people? Yeah, they bring a few animals inside at night. So when it comes to meditation, when it comes to having the opportunity to spend time reading or thinking or praying, is that going to happen in a great room? Probably not. And I just thought this was awesome that that was what the fig tree represented. This is this place of medi- meditation. I mean, it's cool. You got the breeze. You got the shade. Any of you ever had anything to do with a fig tree? I mean, they got these big, broad leaves. Incredible source of shade. Now, 
if you're pruning them, it can be a little bit of an issue if you're, an aller if you're allergic, which I am. Uh, I found that out years ago as a 10-year-old working at a neighbor's place. My wife's giving me the look. I'm being tangential here. But uh, if you ever trimmed a prune tree, they, there is this amazing sap. I mean, it's all like a thick milk, Elmer's glue. I ended up welting on up. It's good just to sit underneath it. Just leave the leaves alone. You don't want to find out if you're allergic or not. But here we've got this, this thing where Jesus calls him out, tells him where he was, and with that he knew what he was doing. Commentator Jay Tenney believes that Nathaniel had been reading Genesis 28. And there's reasons for that, and we'll kind of explore that a little bit as we go further here. But Jesus con contrasted Jacob, the deceiver, with Nathaniel's integrity. And what we'll see, too, is in Genesis 28, it actually mirrors verse 51 in this passage, and that Jacob's ladder is something that's referenced, this stairway to and from heaven, which we'll see in a moment. So looking at Nathaniel, what was his response to Philip? Was it a positive one? Maybe a little prejudice? A little bit of that going on here. Nathaniel's response, think about this too, man. I mean, is this the thing you want to be known for? Nazareth, can anything good come from there? You know, it's kind of like, uh, Thomas, the doubter. Why is Nathaniel so skeptical? Because Nazareth was not considered a place where anything circumstantial would come from. The town was situated on the top of the hill in this bowl, not even really a plateau, uh, in the uh, ridge north of the Jezreel Valley. It was a relatively isolated village. There was only a few hundred people that lived there. And with that, though, there was very, 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 even though it was small population, very limited resources. Soil was terrible, not a whole lot of water. So with that, poverty, sickness, you know, if you're a Jew and with purity rights and all places, you're probably going to want to avoid. Nothing special was expected to come from Nazareth. Had many great minds, great people with great ability, anything like that had ever come out of it before. Certainly not the Messiah. In verse 49, Rabbi, Nathaniel replied, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And just keeping that in mind, great things can come from some of the strangest places. Amen? You know, when it comes to Jesus, sometimes people think about him in the same way. Strange, extraordinary. You know, maybe he was a good teacher, this, that, and the other. All roads lead to heaven. Jesus is just another guy kind of pointing in that direction. Not the case. Getting back to Nathaniel, and Nathaniel can't believe what Philip is saying when he came through with this message about the Messiah. Best news ever. Kind of a doubter. All the Old Testament prophecies were things that he, Nathaniel had the opportunity. He had that knowledge. And what did it take? Jesus voting for him. Nathaniel gets up, follows Philip, goes to the meeting without expecting anything too special from this so-called Messiah. Now think about this for a minute. You think he was maybe a little surprised with what came out of Jesus' mouth at their first interaction? Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. I saw you under the fig tree, Nathaniel, before Philip even called you. Probably a reason, a little bit of a reason there for the change in the state of mind. How in the world does this guy know me? Let's read another scripture that will give us some insight as to how Jesus did. Psalm 139, verse 7. There we go. Psalm 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens... You are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, 
Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. How does this man know me? How did he know Nathaniel? Because he's God, and he can see into our hearts. Now, I don't know about you, but the fact that Jesus can see into my heart is a little bit concerning. I mean, you know, today we got drones, we got the NSA, and here's, here there's Jesus. Knows exactly what's going on in my heart. And why would that bother me? Why do I find that a little concerning? Because I, I know what goes on in this thing. Anger, fear, preconceived ideas, low self-esteem. There's a lot of confrontation in life, different things you need to engage in. I'm a confrontation avoider. I hate confrontation. And so many of these things can lead to bitterness, not wanting to be involved with other people, exactly where Satan would love to see us, isolated and alone. Jesus sees all this and so much more. He notices the smallest details of our lives. But what I love about this passage is how Jesus uses that information. So when Nathaniel walked up to Jesus... Knowing what was going on in his mind, you think he could have responded maybe a little bit differently to Nathaniel than what he did? I know you. You're the person that said and thought that nothing good could come out of Nazareth. Well, I just burst your prejudice bubble there, didn't I, buddy? I'm here and I'm God in the flesh. Now, don't you feel just a little bit juvenile based on your assumption and your prejudice? Jesus could have said that, right? We know that he didn't have any issues engaging the religious leaders of the day. All you got to do is take a look at Matthew 23. I mean, he flat goes after it. And then some more. And even a little bit more. When it comes to hypocrisy, when it comes to deceit, when it comes to being more, more concerned with the outward appearance than what's going on right here in the heart. Jesus could have said a whole lot more and a whole lot more negative than he did but he didn't. Instead, Jesus focuses on something completely different. At that time, many people in Israel did not understand what real faith was. You got everybody claiming to have religion, but it was religion in name only, not true, life-changing faith. You know, Sean talked about it a little bit in Hebrews. They offered sacrifices of repentance, but they were unwilling to change their lives. They came to worship, but we know based on what we see in the scriptures, that that worship was meaningless. In public, they were holy. In private, they were ungodly. Circumcision meant they looked like Israelites, but their hearts were far from God. You know, a number of months back, I talked about the contrast between the temple model and the Jesus model. And this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus could care less about the rules and regulations if what's going on here isn't right. As a true Israelite, Nathaniel didn't just read the Word of God, he lived it. This is why Jesus made the statements he did. He was a man who feared God, a man of integrity. And that is why Jesus continues to describe him as one whom there is nothing false. You know, falseness brings to mind for me a picture of deception or hypocrisy. And Nathaniel must have been so encouraged when he heard those words because that was not who he was. He was neither of those things. And again, we know that based on Jesus' interaction with the religious leaders of the day, he didn't have a problem calling that on out. What a huge compliment for Nathaniel, a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. 
And I mean, how much more cloud is there when it comes directly from the mouth of God, Son of God? You know, what this needs to represent for each and every one of us here this morning is it's not just a huge compliment, it's a huge source of encouragement for all of us as disciples, for those of you that maybe aren't 100% what, sure what that means, would-be disciples, however you want to classify yourselves this morning. Why is this a huge source of encouragement? Because the reality is that many of the Lord's disciples were found in the strangest places. Fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes. Now, Jesus had a reputation of hanging out with drunkards, swindlers, sinners. That's who Jesus came from. You know, for me, there's a song that we do, uh, I believe the title of it is Mighty to Serve. And it talks about Jesus and what Jesus did, what he came for. And there's this passage in there that just resonates with me on, on such a, a heart level, on an emotional level. All my fears and failures. And knowing that Jesus came and erased those. That those fears, those failures, those weaknesses are not the things that Jesus focuses on. You know, I look at some of the different situations that have taken place through the years. October 1990, West Covina, California. This guy, no religion, agnostic, sales manager of a Ford dealership. You know, would you think that that would be a place that you would go to to raise someone up to become a minister? That's me. It's mind-boggling the places that Jesus would go and the impact that Jesus had because of who he sees us for. Jesus can work with that. Makes no sense to me looking back, but Jesus can work with it. I remember Marty and Claire Ardron out in the East region. Uh, our first, my first time with him, you got to love the brother that was involved that set things up. He uh, told Marty he had this guy he wanted him to meet for a sales presentation. Told Marty that, you know, he basically gave him my name and the whole bit. And he explained to me that he had this guy that wanted to study the Bible. So uh, we get together, and Marty pulls out this, you know, tripod thing and hangs his pad on it and pulls out a notebook and starts doing this presentation. I'm thinking, this is an interesting study. And, uh, you know, he goes through his thing, and I ask him some questions, and, you know, it's a different name, and the bottom line was it was Amway. So uh, we do a little bit of talking, and he realizes I'm not interested, and, you know, with that, I kind of explained to him why I was there, and so, well, I'm, you know, I'm the, well, that wasn't really why I came, but what do you got? And uh, it was just wild in that you got this guy, hardcore Seventh-day Adventist, Sabbath keeper, and an Amway salesman. For those of you that have been around for a while and studied with different people, you know it's not the most, uh, it's a little bit more challenging situation than most. But it was so amazing, the degree of humility that this guy had. And the watching his life change, seeing him surrender, making Jesus Christ Lord of his life. He had a little baby, Jacob, at the time. Both of his kids are disciples now. Both of them are part of our campus ministries. Kind of a strange place to find somebody at an Amway sales. Tim Anderson. This guy is an aerospace brainiac. He was a scientist that was in town in Orange County visiting. Wanted to study the Bible. Young man in our ministry reached out to him. We had three days before he went home. Got through the studies. We're through light and darkness. 
I was a little concerned with him going all the way back to Boston and not having anybody going on relationally, but he pushed it. We continued studies. He was baptized. A month later, he decided to move back to California because he wanted to be involved with the guys that helped bring him to the faith. He'd been divorced, broken marriage. Had a young son at the time. was about six, seven years old, and he was really concerned that he was 3,000 miles away with his bio mom. He was like, Steve, how do I have an impact on him? How do I help bring him into the kingdom? I go, Tim, how can you talk to him? Every night, add some scripture to it. Read the Bible to him over the phone for months, for years. Son Max, baptized disciple. It was just amazing to see how God worked. I mean, this guy, total brainiac, did the GPS system for our uh, space shuttles. I had the men in black come knocking on my door, and now he's involved in some top secret project that he couldn't talk to me about. Um, But it's just amazing. Kind of a strange place, scientists, right? Now look at my wife, Jacqueline. She grew up in a pretty functional Christian home. We thought, would imagine. But even that's not a guarantee. You know, and I appreciate her humility and her desire for the truth. And when the scriptures were brought to her, her willingness to embrace that. And just seeing the impact that it's had on, on thousands of women through the years. It's just amazing how God works. It doesn't matter how good you are, how bad you are, normal, abnormal, strange, whatever. Wherever you're from, it doesn't matter. Jesus came calling, asking for our vote. But the thing that I love about Jesus is Jesus votes for us. The reason we can be found is because Jesus doesn't focus on what we were. Jesus focuses on what we can become. Next passage here. Maybe. Did I go too far? Uh, We're at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. So says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male or, uh, prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. This is the operative thing here. It doesn't matter who you were, because Jesus came and died for everybody. Jesus wanted everybody to have the opportunity for salvation. It continues, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You know, I appreciate Sean's reminder this morning about what it was like in, in that moment. We came up out of the waters of baptism. I remember for me it was exciting. It was a new life, a new start. A new opportunity, a new purpose. Being able to turn and baptize my wife. I mean, I can see it like, I can see it today. And this is back in December 10th of 1990. I can see it today like I did then. I remember taking her down to the water and it was like slow-mo. Just these rivulets of water coming off the back of her head. And she came out of the water and the embrace that we had after that. Knowing that who we are now. True Christians. All the promises that come with that, eternal life. But more importantly, how God views me today. And as Christians, as as baptized disciples, we need to be excited about who we are now, not who we were. Satan wants to dog us with that. He wants to continue to remind us who we were in the flesh. 
But what we need to be concerned about today is the condition of our hearts right now, this morning. What the issue for us today is what Jesus sees in our hearts. So I want to give you a little challenge this morning. Are you willing to trust in his sacrifice? Because here's the thing. On the basis of what we've heard today, I want to invite you to come take the fig tree challenge. Again, we talked about it a little bit. We saw that in the day of Jesus, the fig tree symbolized fruitfulness, spiritual fullness, well-being, peace, solitude, the opportunity to connect with God. And when Jesus saw Nathanael under that fig tree, he's pointing to the fact that Nathanael was a man who desired a closer walk with God. When you were under the fig tree, Nathanael, you were in a place of reflection, study, and meditation. A place where people express their heart of hearts to God. And this is what I love about God. We can be real about who we are. We can be real about the joy in our life, the sorrows in our lives, the victories in our lives, as well as the failures, the confidence, as well as the doubts. But people understood to get their sustenance and their faith strengthened, they needed to connect with God. So to be under the fig tree, man, expressing your relationship with God. And you can be there under the fig tree with all your faults, with all your great talent, with all your sin as well as your faith, with all your doubts, questions, and victories, you can still be a disciple. Why? Because Jesus, something great, did come out of Nazareth. Something great comes to the surface with each and every one of us when we are willing to surrender to Jesus. If you haven't, or you're not quite sure what that looks like, just ask for help. There's someone here that can help you. Take that kernel and turn it into something great. Life to the full. Life of purpose. See, Jesus still seeks lost sinners today. Jesus takes the overlooked, the undervalued, the left out, the written off, the damaged and destroyed, and does what only he can do. He makes those individuals that are broken beautiful again. He does that through disciples, just like you and me. Back to the fig tree challenge. Think of one person you can be an example to this week, that you can share your faith with, your story with this upcoming week. Write a prayer asking God to give you an open door to tell someone about Jesus and to invite them. In John 1, verse 50, it says, Jesus responded to him, Do you believe only because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I assure you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. See, Jesus promises that we will see even greater things. You know, often when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and are baptized for the forgiveness of sins, we don't fully realize everything that it entails. Jesus simply promises you will see greater things than these. You might ask yourself, well, what could be greater than meeting Jesus? We're going to close right here in John 14. John 14, verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. Jesus gives us immediate access to God. He is the one who bridges the gap between God and humanity, light and darkness, heaven and hell, life and death. 
And if you're visiting, don't hesitate. Nathaniel didn't, he didn't hesitate to respond to Jesus. Now, was he a little skeptical? Yeah. I remember October of 1990, the individual that shared the good news with me, I was more than skeptical. But I didn't hesitate. You're here and have heard. Don't let anything get in your way this morning. You know, what kind of things can get in the way of meeting and making Jesus Christ Lord of your life? There's a lot of things. Fear, pride, finances, time. There's so many things like that SUV and Sean's picture this morning that are wanting to cut you off time and time again. Nathaniel didn't hesitate. So this morning, we've all seen and we know about Nathaniel from Scripture, but it's amazing from a standpoint of church history what we see taking place with him. He ministered in Persia and India. He took the gospel as far as Armenia. And there's no re uh, reliable records to how he died. Some say that he was tied up in a bag with stones, tossed overboard. Others say that he was crucified. But the bottom line is we do know that he died a martyr. He died faithful. He stood firm to the end because he voted for Jesus and he put his faith in Christ. He bet his life on Jesus. Everything he experienced with Christ, whatever he experienced after the birth of the New Testament church, ultimately made him stronger. And Nathaniel, like the other apostles, stands as proof that God can take the most common people from the most insignificant places and use them to his glory. Jesus gets my vote. And hopefully this morning he gets your vote as well. Because Jesus voted for you. You will live to see and experience even greater things in this life and the life to come if you vote for Jesus. God bless. church.